Strong voices. It's not just about one state. It's not just about one community. It's about all of our communities. The issues that face Indigenous peoples around the world sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political order. I am here and now, and I speak my language. I practice my cultural essence of me. What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialized logics are inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we're going to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere. What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello, good morning and welcome to Strong Voices. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling. It's great to have your company this uh, Wednesday morning. We're coming to you live from the Calm Radio Studios here on Aranda Country in uh, Central Australia and broadcasting to all nations through Vast Channel 911. We're coming to you on Aitken FM here in, uh, in Bantu Alice Springs in the Red Centre. And we're also coming to you online via our website at uh, karma.com.au. As mentioned, today is, of course, uh, the middle of the week. It's uh, Wednesday, the 26th of June, 2019. Coming up on Strong Voices today, uh, tomorrow will mark the sixth annual Indigenous Focus Day, which will be taking place here in Alice Springs. This year's theme is Shaping Our Digital Futures. We're going to be hearing more about uh, what's going to be happening here in Alice Springs tomorrow. Also, from the 1st to the 3rd of July, people will gather at the uh, Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane for the 2019 National Indigenous Research Conference, which aims to build on previous themes of impact and engagement. Uh, the CEO of IATSIS, uh, Craig Ritchie, will be uh, joining us uh, to discuss that conference this morning. Also, we're going to be hearing from Professor Hugh Taylor, who's going to be sharing a bit of his life story during the program uh, today as well. And we're also, of course, going to be hearing the very latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. G'day, folks. This is Kutcher Edwards, and you're listening to Our Strong Voices here on Karma Radio. Yes, you're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio this Wednesday morning. Great to have your company. We're going to be heading into our first story of the show now. The 6th Annual Indigenous Focus Day will take place tomorrow, uh, the, the 27th of June, at the McCure Alice Springs Resort in the Gumtree Room. This year's theme, uh, Shaping Our Digital Futures, uh, forgive my pronunciation, I put a, a Akul Chaathuma, learning together in uh, Central Aranda language and and aims to give Aboriginal and uh, Torres Strait Islander people from remote and regional Australia the chance to share experiences and ideas that meets the uh, digital inclusion needs of First Nations communities. Uh, Speakers will showcase the work being done in the Indigenous indigenous digital space with uh, presentations and case studies during the one-day forum. Karma's Damien Williams uh, spoke with uh, General Manager of First Nations Media Australia, Daniel Featherstone, and asked him uh, what people can expect at this year's forum. The Indigenous Focus Day has grown out of what was the Broadband for the Bush Forum, which is something we've had going for since 2011, started as a, um, a bit of a technical conversation and then has grown into a big conversation about trying to make sure that remote Australia gets good broadband and, and um communications. Um, And we started the Indigenous Focus Day 
Um, well, obviously, this is the sixth one. So we started that back in 2013 as a way to um, get people sharing their stories um, about what they're trying to do in remote Indigenous communities particularly, uh, both what are the challenges to getting connected, you know, around access to services and online services and also training and uh, appropriate applications and so forth. So um, the day's really grown over the years as a way to um, to share that knowledge and get um, good ideas that we can take to government and talk about what the real needs are across remote Australia. How important how important is it to you know keep that connection and be able to uh, give those remote areas the opportunity to have this kind of connectedness? Look, it's really important. There's no other forum where these conversations are really going on, and for the for the most part, government policy doesn't think about what remote indigenous people need. Um, and we we really need to have these conversations and to really talk up for, you know, what works on the ground in communities, but what those needs are so that they don't get forgotten and um, and ignored when they're coming up with new programs. Uh, so who can we expect, uh, you know, to see and, and to hear from at the conference? Uh, we've got a fantastic lineup of people um, who are going to be there. So we've got um, Melandiri McCarthy is going to be our, our keynote address, um, Senator for the Northern Territory. Uh, we're going to have Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet there to both, you know, tell us what's happening. Um, they're working on an Indigenous digital inclusion plan at the moment, um, which is fantastic. Um, and um, But then we'll have people from... Um, from Top End, from Ards and Arnhem Land area, um, talking about some of the work they're doing with digital storytelling, um, from um, some of the local town camps, talking about what they, you know, the technology they're using and some of the, the training and work that they're doing, um, including with our Indigimob project. Um, we'll have um, the Arawinki app from the APY lands. Um, talking, we'll have um, Lee Harris talking about Google Fight Club. So some of the um, the challenges of violence on being shared on online. Some great projects from the Catherine region, a, a Roper Story Muster film, uh, an Indigi Emoji project. Uh, so having emojis that use Aboriginal hand signs and, and other messaging. So look, there's just lots and lots of great stories. Um, there's some. Um, people coming from Queensland talking about the Deadly Digital Project and from um, Indigenous Digital Excellence um, going out and working in communities, showing kids how to use 3D printing and drones and so forth. So all sorts. And, um, of course, we'll have Karma represented as well. So Karma, um, so hopefully Gilmore Johnson will come and talk about both the importance of having all of our ribs radio services out in community, but also the challenges getting them connected and and sharing over the um, over the NBN, so there's lots of good stories um, from all across Northern Territory, but you know all other parts of Australia as well. And yeah, technology is really booming and really um, you know going from um, from the ideas into actual um, you know hands-on things that people can do now. Like, how, how important do you see? Um, you know, those communities and even the remote areas, like having to be able to 
um, stay connected or even um, stay up to date with that kind of technology? Look, it's becoming more and more important, particularly as a lot of the services are moving online for accessing things like MyGov and MyHealth and, um, you know, getting access to telehealth and education, hearing about what jobs are available. If you're not online, then you're really missing out on on a lot of what, you know, the services that you should be able to get access to. So that means we need people to have the skills, but also appropriate um, you know, access to technology. We need Wi-Fi in our communities so people can hook up affordably without it costing them a lot using their, you know, mobile coverage if they've got mobile. So, you know, there's a, there's a whole lot of different issues that we need to be addressing to make sure that remote people and, and you know, look, Indigenous people right across the country are generally left out a lot um, as everyone's, you know, getting onto the NBN, getting, you know, getting connected there's a real there's a lot of issues around the cost of getting connected um the availability of services and just having appropriate services that really meet the needs um particularly for people who you know speak language as well so you know there's a range of things we need to be talking about to make sure that people aren't going to get left behind as the rest of the country starts moving into the, the Internet of Things and 5G and all, the, all the, the great new technologies that are out there. And for the, uh, the conference, what are you hoping uh, that people are taking away from it? Well, people will obviously share a lot of their stories about what they're doing in their communities and what's working and what the challenges are. But also what we really want is to hear their ideas about what are the solutions, what can we be doing at a community level, at a local organisation level, what can we be doing regionally and statewide, and then what do we need to take to the government and the telcos to tell them these are the things that are needed to make sure that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are not left behind, that they are a part of the digital economy and can tell their stories and, and, you know, feel strong in that online space. You know, over the years, we've had some fantastic outcomes from the conference. We've talked up um, Indigenous digital inclusion becoming a closing the gap measure, and that's work that we've continued to progress to make sure that we, um, we get that message out, that, you know, that's a critical enabler for health and education and justice and everything else. And now we'll take it to the next step and really inform the government as they're thinking about their Indigenous digital inclusion plan. And we want those stories to come from community. Yeah, and, and of course, as as a lot of people know, well, all Aboriginal people know, we're very visual-orientated uh, peoples and, you know, orally um, passing on knowledge this way. The new technology will help, you know, even strengthen that in a way. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, we're going to have a fantastic showcase of some of the, the innovative projects that are out there, things like the, the Arawinki and the um, um, the Indigi Tube app and the Indigi Mob work that's been going on um, and and um, see some of the great work that's being done up in the top end and in Catherine and uh, right across, uh, I think, PAW Media are going to show us some of their virtual reality work. Um, we'll see some holographic dance projects. So, you know, it's just some great projects that are going on out there. Um, so it's a, really, it's a good chance for anyone who can't make it to the Indigenous Focus Day from 5 till 7 at the McEwer uh, Resort 
uh, in the Gumtree Room. We're going to have a showcase where people can come along and check out some of the great work that is being done out there. The Indigenous Focus Day is pretty much booked out, but that's from 8.30 till 5, and then from 5 till 7 we'll have a showcase. And um, if people want to give us a call, they can register to, to come along to the showcase. And, yeah, great chance to, to catch up and, and see all of that fantastic work that is going on and talk to the people doing that work. We look forward to having Karma there on the day and um, being part of it all and, um, you know, obviously looking forward to working with Karma on some of the upcoming events too, including our national conference, Converge, which will be in Alice Springs in late November. So, um, you know, it's always, always great um, working closely with you guys. Um, you do a fantastic job. On that note, uh, Daniel Featherstone, thanks very much for speaking to us here on Karma Radio. Thanks, Damien. That was Daniel Featherstone there, the General Manager of First Nations Media Australia, speaking with Karma's Damien Williams. We're going to be hearing the very latest in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country very soon. Hi guys, this is Dan Sutton and you're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yes, that's right. You're listening to Strong Voices here on Karma Radio this uh, Wednesday morning. Great to have your company today and I'm very happy to say that I'm also joined by uh, Karma's Damien Williams and Paul Wiles uh, for the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander news from right across the country. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, Carl. Uh, good morning, Carl. Well, Damo, we'll start with you. I understand you've got a story this uh, morning in regards to uh, youth engagement around music. Yeah, well, uh, as uh, a lot of people know um, already, that the, stati- the statistics about Indigenous youth suicide uh, is very high among Aboriginal um, youth and um, with Aboriginal people five times more likely to take their own lives than non-Aboriginal people. But in Western Australia, there's uh, a little town called uh, Yalgajina, um, and uh, at, at its uh, self-managed community uh, more than 900 kilometres north of Perth, with 72 residents and a school that enrolls children from kindergarten to year 10. Um, and there have been no suicides since it was established in 92. Um, but uh, Robert Bensira is a youth engagement coordinator um, with Youth Focus. Uh, He delivers um, mental health services and programs across WA to help at-risk people aged 12 to 25. Um, And along with a clinical manager, Delroy Bergsama, he regularly travels to the small town um, just... uh, uh, from Migathara and they do a mute they've it was just by accident that they stumbled across or um Delroy had his guitar out and he was uh you know just singing songs and stuff like that um while the kids were coming out of school and then yeah just figured out that the kids loved music and so they started writing some songs and the kids asked them one day as well I can we write a song about about um uh Yelga Jinnah and they just uh, wrote a song. It's on. It's on YouTube already as well. So um, to go have a look at it. But um, this ABC report sh- um, says that uh, you know um, Robert himself uh, lost a friend to suicide, and um, you know really wanted to help the young people there as well. So like music and, and that kind of thing is is really helping um, the youth out there uh, just to express themselves as well with song and music. It's always interesting, you know, hearing about the different ways uh, people are able to engage with youth. I'm not sure if it was an interview that you did, Paul, quite a long... It was one of our sort of sting-type things that we have in our Strong Voices intros, and it was along the lines of, you know, uh, 
you know, youth aren't disengaged, but there's just different things that they engage with, something sort of along those lines. That's right, yeah. So I I think um, what many people are aware of uh, in remote communities, uh, it's about engaging with youth and actually letting them know that they are important, that they have an important role to play. They're loved and wanted. All of that. Um, And I think it's, you know, been proven over many years that uh, when youth are actively engaged with and and given a meaning and engaging in something that they might want to do, well, then uh, uh, the overall result is far better and particularly around uh, youth suicide. So mm. um, engagement, and we we are seeing changes now, um, particularly in Western Australia and the Northern Territory in regard to the, um, the imprisonment rates and incarceration rates of uh, young uh, Aboriginal people um, and breaking that cycle of uh, um, instead of having to wait for someone to go into prison before they're given an opportunity to be meaningfully engaged, why can't we do it out in communities? Uh, um, So, again, it brings into question over many years why are programs that work, why are they defunded? Mm. And I think music is, is a very unique thing that I think speaks to a lot of different people as well. So I think it's a great medium in terms of getting that engagement with people as well. And, and it's a simple one as well. I mean, you can just pick up a guitar or, you know, even a set of drums or like, you know, bongos or anything like that. Um, and uh, even if you don't think you're a songwriter, if you write poems or, you know, just write something down, it, it can be a mm. song. And yeah, music is a simple form that can really get people going. It is a therapy. Yes. Mm. It's a sort of universal language I think a lot of people do understand. On to our next story. We'll go to you, Paul. What do you have for us this morning? Well, mine is a little broader than news from around the country. I'm actually travelling over to Brazil uh, where uh, the First Nations peoples there are um, experiencing similar issues to other Indigenous peoples around the world. Uh, But a Supreme Court judge in Brazil has suspended... uh, President Jair Bolsonaro's plan to transfer power over Indigenous land to the country's agricultural minister. Uh, This story comes from Al Jazeera, uh, the news agency. It says that the uh, Bolsonaro has alarmed uh, activists and Indigenous groups with policy proposals that some consider anti-Indigenous. He plans to assimilate Brazil's 800,000 Indigenous people, less than 1% of the country's population, into Brazilian society and open up uh, reservation land to commercial agriculture and mining, including the Amazon forest. Um, A far-right former army captain, um, Bolsonaro, has previously said Indigenous tribes live in poverty and should not be held inside reservations like animals in a zoo, but instead be allowed to engage in the development of their land and charge royalties on companies exploiting its resources. So some mixed messages coming there. Um, He is actually, uh, Bolsonaro um, is 
uh, very keen to uh, uh, access uh, the Aboriginal land uh, and he um, tried to uh, bring in legislation um, to transfer it through to the uh, the country's agriculture minister which would have opened up um, access to land but that's been held up a, uh, a judge has blocked that and uh, it might take another three or four weeks before they can uh, bring that up in parliament again but um, globally now um, you know we are seeing um, more and more um, First Nations peoples in uh, highly developed countries are starting to um, use media as the platform to fight, um, you know, um, governments trying to gain control of the land and, and the mineral access, usually around minerals or uh, in the case of the Amazon, um, logging, tree felling, um, all of those things uh, that uh, very, very similar to what has happened here in Australia and, and in other countries where First Nations peoples have been colonised. Mm. Mm. Well, on that note, uh, Damien, Paul, thank you both for joining us for the news from around the country. Thank you. Cheers. We're going to go to a uh, quick break now and then we'll be right back with our next story. You're listening to Strong Voices on Calm Radio. Woo! <laughs> That's right, you're listening to Strong Voices. I'm Carl Dowling, your host for the program today. Great to have your company. We're going to head into our next story now. Uh, Professor Hugh Taylor is the Harold Mitchell Professor of Indigenous Eye Health at the University of Melbourne. And he uh, has looked at things such as uh, blindness prevention strategies, infectious uh, causes of blindness, and the development of health policy. His work uh, has focused a lot around uh, Aboriginal eye health in particular and the elimination of trachoma. Well, today we're going to hear from Professor Hugh Taylor, who's going to be sharing a bit of his uh, life journey. My name's Hugh Taylor. I was born in Melbourne in uh, 1947, and uh, this is my life story. As a young man, I was quite interested in art and drawing, and I thought I might go into architecture. But I was also in the Boy Scouts, and I so enjoyed the stuff in the Scouts, and particularly the first aid, that in the end I decided rather than doing architecture, I'd go into medicine. And at medical school, I thought, well, I'd rather be a surgeon, I think, and actually do stuff, cut things out and get things sorted out. And so I was interested in surgery, and, and neurosurgery was really interesting. And I, I don't want to be uh, sound derogatory to any neurosurgeons, but at least at that time, you know, most of the time they spent operating in a dark room and their patients didn't talk to them after the surgery or couldn't talk to them after the surgery. And I was fascinated by ophthalmology where it was a really a combination of medicine and surgery and really doing state-of-the-art treatments. We were the first specialty to use microsurgery, so using the operating microscope so you can actually see uh, the very fine detail, using laser treatment, uh, first area there, and so a series of things like that. It was, it was exciting. So I then ended up doing ophthalmology. When I was working in, in my last year of training, one of the, the surgeons would go off to the uh, Solomon Islands for a couple of weeks and take one of the trainees up with him. And um, he picked one of the other guys to go there, and I was a bit disappointed because we all would have liked to have done that. And I was at a meeting, and Fred Hollows was there, and I knew that Fred went up to Burke uh, for a long weekend a couple of times a year to provide eye care to the Aboriginal people. And I, so I said to Fred, Fred, you know, next time uh, you go up to Burke, if possible, I'd love to join you. He said, oh, Dale, I will let you know. And I didn't know at that time that he was working with the Commonwealth Government and uh, the College of Ophthalmologists to start up the National Trachoma and Eye Health Programme. 
And so about a month or two later, I got a call. Hey, Taylor, we need you in Port Augusta, you know, on the middle of May. <laughs> What's going on? Anyway, so uh, I, I ended up uh, spending a year or so with Fred uh, as the assistant director of the National Trachoma and Eye Health Program. And we started off in Port Augusta and then worked our way up through the Flinders Ranges, APY lands, up to Alice. Uh, and in the end, we sort of covered the whole country. This was 76 to 78. And in the middle, I, I moved and, and went uh, to John Hopkins University in Baltimore in the US, where I'd organised to do a, another year of training. But Fred sort of dragged me back to finish the work up the Queensland coast. And so that really gave me this first time experience of what was like in Aboriginal communities. And as a uh, medical student with a couple of friends, we'd driven from Melbourne up to Broome and then back from Kalgoorlie through uh, Warburton and then it got to Alice. Before Docker River was there, we actually spent about a week at Docker River. We had floods and the whole river came up and although we had a winch, every time you took the tension off the winch, we sunk up to the doors and... Uh, only one or two cars, private cars, would go along that road a year at that time. And people, you know, the police came out to fly and f- try to fight us and dropped us some food supplies and stuff. So we were pretty pleased when we hit Alice uh, on that trip. Uh, but with Fred, we did a lot of work, a lot of treatment. You know, we had people at, uh, you know, across the road in, in the uh, teachers' uh, training college while it was still there, doing a big community treatment training program. Uh, we had army field hospitals at Armitage and at Utopia, where we did uh, had the biggest eye hospital in the southern hemisphere for two weeks, <laughs> and so that was a great experience about the need on the one hand and what could be done with relatively straightforward treatment that you can do with removing blindness. It was inspirational. I mean, I say I was led astray by Fred Hollows, and I've been astray ever since. But he was very inspirational in, in a lot of ways, very down to earth, very concerned about other people, you know, thinking very much laterally about why or what or, or how things could come. I had a totally different perspective of Fred from one of our leaders of industry when I was there on the Fred Hollows Foundation board looking to see if we can get money and, and he described Fred as a foul-mouthed misogynist. Now, that's also true, <laughs> but, uh, you know, every coin's got two sides, but um, he worked hard, he was incredibly empathetic and would listen and take time and talk to and relate to people. Uh, pipe smoking and uh, eventually, you know, cancer is what killed him. Whiskey drinking, particularly if we were out in the bush, not on community, but, but in between, we'd have bottles of scotch with screw caps because you couldn't take glasses, you couldn't take, you know, we did, you couldn't take beer, you know, drink beer at 50 degrees. So we would sit around the, the fire, campfire, bit of old mulder and, you know, fire, and um, you'd pass the bottle around, you'd take the cap and you'd have a cap full of whiskey, knock it down, pass the bottle of the cap to the next person and go around the fire a couple of times and it made the cold nights pass more quickly. Where it was possible, we would, would, would work in a clinic area, but we also had some uh, old army tents, Vietnam era, that we would sort of put up and we would work in a tent, and that could be as hot as hell. You know, there's uh, big, heavy, khaki army canvas, <laughs> but 
when you see the photos of us there, we were in sort of shorts and T-shirts and sweating. But we, we would camp out. We would go out for you know, two weeks at a time you know, with our swags and food and supplies. There are very little in the way of community stores and stuff like that. And, and so you just did it. It gave me a, a real understanding of the need and, and what have you. And, and much of my uh, working life um, after that, I was as a professor of ophthalmology and I was working in the Royal Victorian Eye and Ear Hospital in Melbourne and we had all the care and stuff and, and, and research and tra- teaching. And, and so I was really busy and I, I tried to do what I could in terms of um, Indigenous health and I did a review in the mid-90s for the Commonwealth about what needed to be done, which was sort of accepted but barely implemented. And we did a little bit of work. But about 10 or 12 years ago, I thought, we're still not making a lot of progress. And what's really needed is I need to commit myself full-time. So I sort of quit my day job, took a personal chair at Melbourne Uni, and was really lucky to have people come out of the woodwork and say, hey, you know, we think what you're doing is worthwhile, we'll give you some help and support. And so that's led us really focus and uh, you know, convince the government to start this trachoma program and, and get Kevin Rudd to commit to, to the uh, the country to eliminate trachoma, which has really focused our activities. Uh, and then with both the, the Labor and then the uh, uh, current Liberal governments, there's been strong support, bipartisan support, including the Greens, so tripartisan support, if you like, for the work we're doing. People can't argue that it's not good to have blind people. Mm. And uh, so... There's been very significant increase in funding and services and support, and what we're talking about now is trying to get those last few yards to actually finish the job. That was uh, Professor Hugh Taylor there. We'll hear the uh, second part of that interview on tomorrow's Strong Voices. Hi, this is Kevin Capinari, and you listen to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Bam! Craig Ritchie is the head of world-renowned research collections and publishing organisation IATSIS, the Australian Australian Indigenous Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies, and he has expressed the importance of First Nations peoples being at the forefront of research ahead of the 2019 IATSIS National Indigenous Research Conference. Every piece of research begins with a question that's asked. The point of the research is to try and answer it. And with all the goodwill in the world, if people don't have the sort of lived experience of what does it mean to be an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person in this country, what does it mean to have lived in communities uh, where there are really critical needs, to actually have lived there, to experience life on the ground, then without that, you're going to ask an interesting question, but I'm not always convinced that the questions are the right ones. From the 1st to the 3rd of July, people will gather at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane for the 2019 National Indigenous Research Conference, which aims to build on previous themes of impact and engagement. CEO of IATSIS and Dungadi Burpi man Craig Ritchie says the conference is an opportunity for people involved or interested in research to come together to discuss how studies can benefit Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. The conference is one of two major national conferences that IATSIS has staged, the other being, of course, the National Native Title Conference. It's an opportunity to bring together people that are working in the field of research, people that are interested in the outcomes of research, so end users, people from community, the corporate sector and Indigenous organisations, to think about questions of how we make what happens in universities, how we make what researchers do 
a real benefit for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Why is it important to, to have all those various levels there as well? No change happens through just one sector. Uh, change comes about when people from a range of sectors with a range of perspectives and points of view can come together, apply the best of their thinking to a particular issue or a particular problem and devise solutions that are going to work and that might be a bit creative, but that might take us in new directions, but it's important we get everybody around the table. This is an Indigenous-led conference. It's about uh, Indigenous research in the 21st century. So it's important that we get Indigenous academics, Indigenous administrators, policy makers, community organisation leaders and people from communities all together, all contributing, all thinking about how we make research work for us as Indigenous Australians in the 21st century. That's the theme of this year's conference. Why is, is that the particular theme and can you elaborate as what's actually meant by that? So... It builds on our our previous conference, which was held uh, two years ago now, and the theme of that conference was about the impact of research. And building on that, we started to think about, well, look, we're now in the 21st century, we're doing uh, things, including research, the way that we've done them for, uh, in previous uh, centuries and, and, and in the past. Those things are not going to be able to give us the kind of solutions that we need for the problems that we face now. And so we're really interested in what a 21st century research effort will look like and one that works for us as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people rather than one that just works for research uh, institutions like universities. And so we're really kind of framing this conference as a forward-looking thing rather than a backward-looking gathering. Uh, We're asking people to come to the conference thinking about the future and how we can make sure that we do the kind of research that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people think is important, that we do it in a way that works for us as Indigenous Australians and that we're aiming for the kind of outcomes that we uh, want to see. We're not convinced that just doing things the same old way is a recipe for success for us as First Nations people. And so we want to focus on the future and uh, and that will mean we'll be covering off uh, a range of topics that are super critical and really important for us. And it'll be an exciting time. I'm really looking forward to it. And just touching on that, the topics of the conference, there are a range of different topics that are going to be covered. Uh, can you elaborate on what some of those topics are? There'll be quite a bit that's covered, but just to pick a couple of things. So this question of in, Indigenous data sovereignty, that's the idea that with all of the information that's collected about us as Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islanders, what do we need to do to make sure that that's meaningful information, that it's information that we're in control of, not just the collecting of it, but how people use that, how information is interpreted and the conclusions, that that's all uh, within the control of Indigenous people and particularly the Indigenous people who are most impacted and whose information it is. So so this question we're calling Indigenous data sovereignty is a really important one going forward. So the topic that we'll think about is how do we indigenise research systems and structures and build our own ways of doing research and conducting inquiries so that our values, our points of view, our perspectives are in the centre of it rather than kind of lurking around the fringes. And we'll be considering issues around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people's participation in the university system 
and world education more broadly, particularly the universities, not as the subjects of research, but as the people undertaking research. And just touching on what one of the uh, points that you brought up just then was the indigenization of, of, of the systems and things like that. Is that sort of, you know, so it's, it's tailing it to the mob and stuff like that? Is, is that what that's... Look, I think it's a bit of that. So if you think about the way that research has been done in the past, it's largely been delightful as asking questions about us that they want, about that they think are important inside systems that are set up by white people for white people. And look, no doubt there have been some gains and some benefits that have come to us from the research structure that we have. But we think it's going to be a far more effective and, in fact, far more necessary for the systems to be organised around Indigenous values, particularly Indigenous values of collaboration and cooperation rather than competition, that our points of view and the questions that we want to know the answers to are right, if you like, in the guts of what research is about and that the people doing the research are our own mob and doing that research in, in ways that are consistent with our cultural values and our, and our worldviews. Who is, are some of the organisations or, or, or bodies or anything like that or, or speakers that are going to be involved in this? Can you, can you name a few of those? So we're partnering with the Queensland University of Technology to stage this conference. It's our long-standing practice at IATSIS to identify a local partner that we work with to make sure that our national perspective is grounded in a local one. We've got a range of spectacular speakers from all over the country and internationally. So we have people like Professor Maggie Walters, uh, the Pro Vice Chancellor of Aboriginal Research and Leadership from the University of Tasmania, Palawa woman. We have Tahu Kukatai, who's a professor at the University of Waikato in, in uh, Aotearoa, New Zealand, and Michelle Deshong, who is the CEO of the Australian Indigenous Governance Institute from uh, based at ANU, not an ANU Institute, but based there, along with a range of other eminent Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander scholars. The bulk of the speakers are Indigenous, and so that's a really critical thing that marks, I think, an IATSIS conference out uh, from any other conferences uh, that are around. In fact, I'm not aware of any conferences around that have the level of Indigenous participation uh, domestically anyway, as this conference will have. It's going to be an exciting few days in beautiful Brisbane. Talk to us about the importance of having Indigenous-led study. You know, when we talk about the different gaps that still exist between, uh, you know, First Nations peoples and, and non-Indigenous Australians, whether it be education or, you know, health and well-being. Every piece of research begins with a question that's asked and the point of the research is to try and answer it. And with all the goodwill in the world, if people don't have the sort of lived experience of what does it mean to be an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person in this country, what does it mean to have lived in communities uh, where there are really critical needs, to actually have lived there, to experience life on the ground, then without that, you're going to ask an interesting question, but I'm not always convinced that the questions are the right ones, the ones that matter to us or the ones that are going to make the most difference. If you think about these as a set of lenses that we look through, how we see things and, in fact, what we see is strongly influenced by the lenses that we look through to have a look at that. So I think it's important that the right questions are asked and that requires the kind of lived experience that you can only have as an Indigenous person in order to get the answers 
to those questions, you've got to actually engage with people. It's not just a, an exercise of sitting in a sort of a, a quiet office separated from the world. You've got to actually engage with people. You've got to be able to speak in a way that people can understand and actually engage with people in such a way that they're confident, that they trust you. And there's something about when we talk to one another as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that just means that we're able to get the kind of information that, that's important to get, but we do it in a way where people are People trust us, people feel like we're interested in the things that they're interested in rather than just disconnected academic exercise for the purpose of a journal article or a research report. That doesn't mean that the research is any less rigorous or any less reliable, but it just changes the dynamics a bit in favour of the mob and it puts Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the driver's seat, which is a seat in research we haven't been in for a long while. For, for those then in attendance, what, what do you hope they leave with? What, what do you hope comes out of the conference? What, what outcomes would you like to see? I hope people go away from the conference feeling inspired, first of all. I don't think there's any point in us getting people together and we send them away feeling miserable. Uh, so I want, to, I want people to have really had an opportunity to think about important things, be inspired. I want people to go away with a sense of we need to do things differently and here's how we can. And that's why having a conference is important. I want people to go away having strengthened the relationships that they do have across the country, but maybe made some new connections that are going to help them resolve some tricky problems or answer some difficult questions. So if people go away inspired with a new set of relationships that are going to help them and a clear sense of here's how we can make things different in the future then I think we've had a, we will have had a successful conference. For those who might be interested in getting involved in, in attending, how can they sort of go about that? If they go onto the IATSIS website, aiatsis.gov.au, uh, and there'll be a link there that'll take them to the conference link. They can register online. I really would encourage people to have a think seriously about registering, coming along. As I said, it'll be in uh, beautiful Brisbane and uh, really looking forward to seeing people there. That was uh, Craig Ritchie there, CEO of IATSIS, the Australian Indigenous Institute of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Studies. That's going to conclude Strong Voices for this Wednesday morning. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back the same time tomorrow from 11 till 12. Strong Voices.